The contents of this podcast episode may be triggering and emotionally challenging to some audiences due to a discussion around suicide, self-harm, depression, and or a reference to other mental health disorders. Continue at your own discretion. Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, I am speaking with Kaylin Sankston, who is a 17-year-old student at Notre Dame High School in San Jose. Kaylin is here today to share about her mental health journey and why she's passionate about advocating for mental health for all. Welcome to the podcast, Kaylin. Hi. To be honest, how are you doing today? Um, to be honest, today, I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired. Um, I probably should have slept more than I did last night, but overall, pretty good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Always good to get more sleep, but totally understand with summertime, I feel like I just want to make use of all the daylight hours. So staying up late is, um, sounds good when I'm doing it. And then afterwards I'm like, yeah, I should have gone to bed earlier. (laughs) So to start off, um, I'd love to learn a bit about your background. So, um, can you tell me a bit about when you first experienced symptoms of depression? So this is kind of difficult for me to say, but I think it sort of started like when I was in elementary school, like third or fourth grade, and it was definitely like a gradual decline. Mental illness does run in my family, so my mom has always been kind of like, I guess, wary of that situation, but she's also never actually struggled with mental health issues herself, so I don't think she really knew what to look for. Um, But in hindsight, yeah, I would say it started it in about like third or fourth grade. Um, but if I had to like pinpoint an exact time where things started to escalate, I would say in like the beginning of my fifth grade year, I think I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, and that was when like my mom first got diagnosed with breast cancer. So that definitely played um, a pretty big part in it. Yeah. When you first experienced symptoms, what I know you were so young when it happened, but do you remember any of those, the feelings that you had? Yeah, I remember this one day um, sitting in my classroom and just, I, I was like kind of zoning out and I just remember thinking to myself, like, it feels like I will never feel happy again, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, it was just like a feeling in my gut. And then I was like, I just brushed it off. I was like, oh, well, and then I moved on with my day. Mm-hmm. But like, when I remembered that that happened, I was like, oh. Maybe that was like a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. At that point in your life, I'm assuming, I don't want to assume, but I'm going to assume that you didn't know what depression was. At least I didn't know when I was in third through fifth grade. (laughs) Um, So were you able to like explain it to anyone or did you feel comfortable talking about it with anyone? I was fully not even aware of the fact that I was struggling. Like I thought that I was doing great, completely fine. I don't think I possess like any level of self-awareness whatsoever. Um, during that time. So I didn't even know what depression was. Um, Even in hindsight, like, it's kind of hard for me to say, like, oh, that was depression or like, oh, I think I was depressed during that time. Um, But actually, I don't even think I, like, understood what it was exactly until, like, I was 13 or 14. And even then, I was still like, eh, that's not me. Like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Um, So, yeah, it definitely took 
a while for it to like register with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is understandable for, yeah, for being yeah that young and not really knowing, yeah, what your mind is really capable of. Yeah. When you, I know you mentioned that your mom's diagnosis kind of amplified things. So I'm curious, um, what, what feelings were you experiencing when she was diagnosed and what was that, what was that journey like after she was diagnosed? Yeah. So, um, she was first diagnosed when I was in fifth grade. And also during that time, I was like a very, I was a very tall kid, like Mm -hmm. very tall. I was so much taller than everyone else in my class. And so that already felt really isolating because I was literally like physically taller than everyone. And so I was already kind of feeling like alone um, and like kind of disconnected from everyone else. And then she like got cancer and I didn't really have a lot of close friends during that time. I didn't have anyone to talk to about it that understood like what was happening. I didn't even understand what was happening. So I kind of just kept it all to myself and like internalized it and then kind of on the outside it looked like I was fine and then I thought I was fine because I looked fine on the outside um but definitely a lot of things were bottled up Mm -hmm. so at what point did you think that you needed to seek assistance or reach out to someone for help so actually that was never my idea um this might be a little bit of an intense story um for people to hear but the I think this is the last time that I attempted suicide is when I took um, I was 14 I was in eighth grade and I took this bottle of Xanax from the medicine cabinet because my mom had all these like painkillers left over from her cancer and I just like took 20 of them and then went to sleep woke up the next day got in the car with my carpool and went to school what like got through my first period um kind of like out of it and just like I didn't really know what was going on and then I felt really like like in a haze obviously because I was literally pumped full of drugs Mm -hmm. um so I was like I can't do this anymore I went into the bathroom and I was like I don't want to go to math and I just kind of sat on the floor in the bathroom which was gross with my computer and I was like watching YouTube um and then the vice principal like eventually went into the bathroom to come get me because it was a pretty small school, and also my friends were like, what's wrong with her? Um, so she came, and then she kind of, like, coaxed it out of me, like, what happened, and then she called my mom, and then I was like, no, no, I'm fine, like, I'll stay at school for the rest of the day, um, and then I literally just stayed at school for the rest of the day, like, everything was fine, and then um, I went home and talked to my mom about it, and obviously she was very upset, and, like, it it's terrifying, Um And I was just kind of like, whatever. (laughs) Like, the whole time I was like, this is not a big deal. Everyone leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was like, if you don't agree to go to a psychiatrist and go to therapy, I'm sending you to outpatient. So is that, is outpatient the one where you stay? It was like, she was like, I'm going to send you, yeah, inpatient. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send you um, to like a facility and you're going to have to stay there. And I was like, no, don't send me. So I agreed to um, see a psychiatrist and a therapist even though like I was kind of gaslighting myself into thinking that um it wasn't necessary because like mm-hmm. everyone feels this way mm-hmm. like, this is normal because how would you know it's not normal if you've never experienced anything else mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah well thank you for sharing that um I know 
Yeah, well, we'll put a trigger warning too. So don't worry about um, it being too intense. But I'm curious, what was it like seeking treatment? Like, were you happy to go see a psychiatrist? Like once you realized like maybe this is more serious or what were you feeling during that time? I don't really think like the gravity of the whole situation actually hit me until like, like a year later. Because when I first went to see a psychiatrist, she had me fill out like an evaluation. She was like, you have major depressive disorder. And I was like, are you sure? Because I don't know. I feel like people are sad sometimes all the Mm -hmm. time. And that's normal. And I didn't really take it seriously. Um, I think until after I got on medication and like two or three months went by and there was a noticeable, noticeable, noticeable. (laughs) difference in like my quality of life so um I think as the medication started to work and as I started to like go to therapy and sort of get a little better is when I realized like oh it you don't have to (laughs) you don't have to live like that like yeah 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 so what does your mental health is like treatment look like these days like are you still on medication are you still seeing a therapist yeah all of the above. Mm-hmm. I am currently seeing a therapist once a week. Um, and I am also on now anxiety and ADHD medication. So three kinds. Yeah. <laughs> and you, I would assume also that it sounds like medication has positively impacted your life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Um, for someone who is kind of worried about taking medication, I don't know if you had any of those worries. It sounds like you were like, you were kind of compliant with it, but if anyone's kind of like scared to take that route, what would you tell them? Um, so I would definitely say like the biggest concern that I've seen um, people talk about is like, oh, I don't want the medication to change me. Like I still want to be myself. Mm-hmm. And obviously the whole point of the medication is to change you, but not for the worse. Like the medication is there to fix a deficit that your brain has. It's like making it so that you can reach your full potential and be who you actually like need to be. So yeah, it's going to change you, but not for the worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really a really good perspective. And then I kind of want to talk about, you've mentioned to me before that like COVID and quarantining um, definitely had an impact on your mental health. So I'm curious, how did you manage during that time? So I think during COVID, uh, luckily enough, that was like, I had gotten a diagnosis and medication like about a year before COVID started. Mm -hmm. So I had that kind of like helping me. I had the medication and like a psychiatrist so I could like increase my dose if I needed to. Um, But I think during quarantine is like when my ADHD kind of um, took the wheel and was like, online school, we're going to make your life as difficult as possible. Like there's no one around you holding you accountable for paying attention. It's obviously very boring and you're like sitting in your room. So you don't have a lot of mental stimulation to like keep you engaged. So I was just kind of like, well, this is literally painful for me to pay attention. So I'll just like not, but then my grades started to drop and like, I was like, Oh, uh, why can't I just pay attention? Like you should just be able to like focus like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Um, 
And then that kind of was very bad for my self-esteem <laughs> and sort of impacted like my depression and anxiety because I was like, you're so dumb. Why can't you just do the thing? Like, it's not that hard. Everyone else does it. And my grades were like, I went from a straight A student to like a straight B student. And that mm-hmm. was with scraping by at the end of the <laughs> semester, like yeah. trying to get in as many assignments as possible. So um, that was hard for me because I went from like not having to try in school to like trying my absolute hardest and that still not being enough. And I think yeah. that from what I've heard, that's like kind of a common thread um, with a lot of people with ADHD is that like elementary school and maybe middle school, um, sometimes high school like comes easy. And then as you get into like higher levels of education, um, things start to get a lot more difficult. And mm-hmm. then it's like that your expectation for yourself is really high, but then you aren't able to meet it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. When were you officially diagnosed with ADHD and how did that diagnosis make you feel? So that my diagnosis was in February of this year. Um, so that was about five months ago. And honestly, it, it's been one of the most validating like things of my life ever. Um, like even before I started taking medication, it was like, it was it was a big revelation for me because I finally realized that there's like there's nothing wrong with me in terms of my work ethic or my ability to like do what needs to be done. Um, I literally have a disorder, like a mental mm-hmm. disorder, and it it made me feel so much better about literally everything, and it kind of helped me understand a lot of the things that like, for example, my family would get frustrated with me about. And like, they'd be like, why can't you do this? Or what's, what's happening? Why does this keep happening? And I just wouldn't be able to answer because I didn't know, like I was trying my hardest and they're just like, I just couldn't. And so things like that, like almost every single aspect of my life is affected by my ADHD. Mm -hmm. So knowing these things about myself has been like, it's, it's definitely helped me be a lot more forgiving of myself and understanding so that I can be better. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like that's really common with people in general, like with mental health challenges. Like if you have a label for it, even the labels sometimes aren't the best. It's just nice to know it, it puts pieces pieces of the puzzle into place for a lot of people. So it sounds like that's kind of how it was for you too, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd love to chat more about um, kind of like finding yourself. I know like self-reflection was a large part of your recovery. Um, so would you mind sharing a bit about how self-reflection has positively impacted your mental health journey? So I think there's a difference between like beating yourself up for something and looking at yourself critically. And I have sort of tried to make that transition over time to like, instead of saying like, oh, you suck, you're bad. Um, Just being like, okay, you're not very good at this. So what can we do to be better? And it's okay that you're not good at this. Um, Because if you're not like, okay with being bad at something, it's really hard to get better. So that has been a big big thing. But then also just like reevaluating kind of the people I surround myself with. And like, especially recently, there's been a lot of stress in my life. So I've kind of just like, um, said to myself, 
you need to keep your headspace as clear as possible because there's a lot of factors that you can't control. But what you can control is um, the people you surround yourself with. And that definitely has like a big impact on your mental health and self-esteem. Like if you have friends or family members or people around you that um, constantly say things to tear you down or like just don't make you feel good about yourself, you don't have to keep them around. Like these people are in your life to enhance your life. If they're dragging you down and they're not bringing you any sort of like, I don't want to say benefit because that sounds a little rude, but like if (laughs) someone is not making you feel better, then you don't need them in your life because it's, it's just unnecessary. Like you get to choose who you want in your life. It's your life. You're the only person that's going to be in your life forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really common feeling. Um, I think a lot of people go through that, especially with family. Like we're always told like family is like, you know, like your core support. But there are a lot of people who are born into families that are not nice to them or don't respect them. So it's it's a difficult process to try to cut, you know, those toxic people out of your life. So I'm kind of curious how you how that process was for you. and yeah, what that kind of looked like. Um, so I would definitely say it's kind of the easiest thing to do with friends because um, it's it's a lot more difficult to distance yourself from family, especially when there's parts of your family that you are really like close with and really have a connection with. And then there's other parts of your family that are just like absolutely terrible. So family has been difficult. We're still working on that. But in terms of friends... Um, I think the the best thing to do is just to be honest and upfront, like mm-hmm. um, just kind of telling them like, hey, you say these things and they make me feel bad about myself. Um, I don't know if you recognize that you're doing that, but I like, I don't know if I can be this close with you anymore um, because of all these things. I'm just kind of like saying that straight up. And then sometimes people's true colors really come out when you say stuff like that. Yeah. And then you, it just kind of reaffirms like, yeah, you definitely don't want to be friends with them anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great advice. And I feel like it'd be really hard. You said it, you said it very well. And like, yeah, (laughs) I feel like it'd be so hard to say that to someone in real life, but it's, it's those hard conversations that sometimes we have to have in order to get to, you know, better mental health or the better side of things. So so thank you for sharing, giving us all kind of a <laughs> script. <laughs> I think that's that's much appreciated. <laughs> so now that we've kind of talked about like the past, where you've been, um, I'm curious about your future, like what you're looking forward to um, now that you have a more like solid grasp on your mental health. Um, so I think through this whole like process of me kind of trying to understand myself better, I've come to the realization that this is something that I think I want to do for the rest of my life. So I definitely want to, um, in the future, go into psychology, something related to psychology, potentially um, therapy or social services. But in the more like immediate future, um, I'm going to try and sort of set up some like mental health resources at my school because definitely at this point, like I've been kind of looking around and seeing a lot of things that are really um, lacking in that Mm -hmm. department. So if I 
can use my experience to help other people, then I don't understand why I wouldn't. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm glad that you're you've, you're taking that route. Um, sounds really rewarding. I think it will be in the future. And if you ever need things like resources or materials or anything for your school, feel free to reach out to me and I can try to pr- provide whatever I can for you. That would um, be great. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so nice talking to you and getting to know your journey with mental health a little bit more. Is there anything you'd like to share with all the people listening? Um, I guess I will go ahead and share my Instagram. So my handle is at Kaylin Sangston. Um, and I guess I would say like, feel free to DM me if you ever want to talk about anything or if you ever need anything. I'm like literally a stranger on the internet. But, <laughs> um, if I can help in any way, then I will be glad to. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you again for being on the podcast and I hope we can talk again soon. Cool. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the To Be Honest podcast brought to you by Momentum for Health. We're so happy to be able to share the personal behavioral health and wellness stories of youth and young adults in Santa Clara County. If you live in Santa Clara County and are in need of behavioral health assistance, please call 800-704-0900. You can also reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline 24-7 by dialing or texting 988. That's it for now, but we'll be back in just two weeks with another episode. Bye!